This year, U.S. banks have added tens of billions of dollars to their loan loss reserves in anticipation of a wave of loans gone sour due to the COVID recession. But just how does a bank's risk department model such an extreme tail event as a pandemic? On this week's podcast, we'll be talking credit risk and modeling with Laurent Barad and James Partridge, both experts on the subject at Moody's Analytics. Actionable insights can help power smart decisions. Each week, the BAI Banking Strategies podcast focuses on important issues facing financial services leaders, as well as the emerging trends that are rapidly reshaping the financial industry. I'm Terry Badger, your host and the managing editor at BAI. Pull up a chair and join us. Financial institutions have been through this before, a recession that hammers businesses and elevates default risk among borrowers. But they also haven't been through this before, an instant collapse in economic activity due to a deadly pandemic. Our guests on the Banking Strategies podcast this week are both credit risk experts from Moody's Analytics, James Partridge is Director of Credit Analytics, and Laurent Barad is Senior Director for Regulatory and Accounting. They're also co-hosts of the new podcast, Credit in Perspective, which is part of the Moody's Talks series of podcasts. So Laurent and James, thanks for joining us to dig down a bit into the current state of credit risk being faced by the banking industry. Thank you for having us. Thank you very much. So congratulations on getting your podcast off the ground. That's not an easy thing to do, but certainly your timing is good for something focused on credit, given what we're seeing in the economy. Tell us a little bit more about the Credit in Perspective podcast and what market niche you're looking to fill with it. Well, Laurent and I really like these podcasts where people have some you know, higher level discussions and bring some interesting perspective to whatever topic that they're discussing. And you know, we both come from slightly different backgrounds in this industry. And uh, we frequently have some conversations, you know, off mic where we talk about what we think are kind of interesting interpretations of what's going on now, given what's happened in the past. And we thought that if we were to, you know, target some of these conversations to things that are happening uh, right now, uh, it would be interesting for some listeners. So we try to take some, you know, historical perspective on the things that are happening right now by, you know, reinterpreting some of the past events and, and giving some history. So, Laurent, while we're on the topic of credit perspectives, What's your broad brush perspective on bank credit risk right now, with us being some six months into the COVID pandemic and in a recession? That's the million dollar question, right? I know a lot of investors would love to have the keys to that question, but let me uh, try and give you sort of a perspective. So we're past the initial shock, which was really, uh, which was tremendous and really drove the markets lower. I think the government support, the ability for the Fed to step in with liquidity and make sure that market resume actively working properly did a lot of good for credit. Today, I think there's still a lot of uncertainty that reigns. You know, we don't know what the impact of the unemployment rate being at such a high level for such a prolonged period is. That's concerning because, you know, we typically when you have unemployment that goes, you know, at that level, you, you know, not too long later, you have some net charge up materializing. We're not seeing any of this yet. So, the future is still very blurry, right? So the environment's getting relatively better, but we're still not sure what's going to happen in the fall. Is there going to be a second wave? Is it going to be a second shutdown? So there's a lot of uncertainty that range right now. Risk management is all about identifying possible risks lurking out there in the market, gauging their likelihood and their magnitude, and then coming up with ways to minimize the potential impacts. That's the macro view. Let's think a little more micro. 
what are the actual pieces and design work that go into an effective bank risk model? Is it all science or is there some art involved too? It's definitely both. And the balance between those things kind of shifts over a business cycle, I think. So, you know, right now we are relying heavily on some of the science aspects, right, which are, you know, your empirical stuff, like your credit models and, and those kind of things that are very formulaic is a, is a way to describe them. But we're also relying heavily on the art, right? And this is actually one thing that we want to get out of the podcast is bringing some perspective to what we're doing to better manage the art piece of it. And that is, you know, interpreting some of these factors that were not previously models. Maybe we don't have the data to support their, you know, estimation or, or modeling. So we have these things that Laurent was talking about, which are kind of throwing a bit of a monkey wrench into the models, or at least not allowing the models to get all the way to our final answer. And then the art piece is what gets us over the finish line, right? So, you know, science brings us close to the finish line. Sometimes right now it's bringing us not that close to the finish line because there's a lot of intangible things that we have to bring in. And so the art and the perspective on previous events to interpret the current events is what is going to get us the rest of the way. I'm guessing that a deadly virus new to humans and speeding its way across the planet might qualify as one of those monkey wrenches you're talking about, you know, something that is not included in many of the risk models. So what do financial institutions do in a case like this when they're faced with extreme tail events that might occur once in a lifetime or even once in two lifetimes? How do the models get tweaked or do they go out the window? Yeah, that's a very good question, right? So the first thing is as you panic and you see, wow, you know, things, we've never seen anything like this before. Models aren't going to perform. They're not going to work. I definitely don't think that you throw out your models, right? As James said, they represent a starting point. Now, how close they get you to the finish line today versus over the past 12 years, the models have been very good. It's been benign times. The economic conditions were, you know, things that we had seen before. So now we got pretty good. And what's happened is a lot of people just started to rely on those models, maybe a little too much. So right now you have to look at your model as a starting point. There's lots of judgmental analysis that you need to do to cover the unknowns, right? But again, those models as a tool will get us close to a good answer based on best experience. But the current experience deviate quite a bit from the past. You need to be able to adjust and think creatively and critically about what could those adjustments be. James, are the models much use now at all in providing a picture of actual risk exposure? Are the banks groping in the dark? I mean, the biggest banks have set aside tens of billions of dollars to cover potential loan losses. So clearly they see something or they're worried about something. Some models that are meant to give us some insight into the monthly kind of fluctuations in numbers. And those are having a really hard time right now. So as we went from February to March and unemployment claims skyrocketed, you know, models were not picking that up because the things causing them to skyrocket were not ever in any model and, you know, nor should they be. But models that look at the kind of lifetime losses, as you allude to, you know, how banks are increasing their reserves, those models might actually do really well, right? Because they aren't so much worried about the fluctuations and the variations over a, a month or a quarter, which is the kind of turmoil that we're dealing with right now. But they're looking at the life of a loan, which say for a mortgage could be up to 30 years remaining, right? And uh, we start to add in some more kind of easily predictable periods into those models, and those are doing quite well. And even the ones that you know are dealing with variation right now are, are doing okay for the most part if they're well-designed but they are struggling in some ways. Laurent, you mentioned in one of your previous answers about 12 years ago and things being benign over that period. 
Of course, we're referring to the Great Recession in 2008, you know, maybe spilling over into the following year. At the root of that recession was excessive risk-taking in housing that the banking industry either didn't fully recognize or fully respect at the time. So a lot of new rules since then and stress testing and other protections. From your outsider view, how much better are the banks at managing credit risk now compared to that dozen years ago? And are the lessons that they've learned helping them deal with this COVID recession? Yeah, I really like the way you phrase the question about, you know, is it a question of being prepared or not giving enough respect at the time? And I think that's a very good word, respect. I really absolutely think that banks and the banking industry is much better prepared today than they were back then. It doesn't only rely on what banks did. If you look at the government support that came in and how the Fed stepped in with a lot of liquidity, allowing credit market to functions. Remember the last recession, once Lehman Brothers went under, the credit markets froze. Nobody was willing to lend to anybody else. And that was, that was terrifying, right? And I think that on the other side, banks today, they're coming into this crisis with much larger reserves and we're not seeing any real charge-off occurrence, right? And I think that all of these things coming together, the earlier reserve, the higher capital reserves, the better preparation to be able to run scenarios, the government support means that the industry as a whole is much better prepared than they were the last time. The federal government backstop has obviously gone a long way toward adding some stability across the economy. You know, PPP and the CARES Act and stimulus checks and enhanced unemployment benefits. This all represents a multi-trillion dollar liquidity injection. So how are you thinking about this in terms of its impact on credit risk? Is it just buying time or could it be more than that? Yeah, it's actually a very interesting question. And I don't know if we fully know the answer to it because it's both, right? There are some uh, borrowers for which this help is just buying time. And for others, when you've actually completely avoided losses. If you think about the kind of net impact of these programs in a very kind of simple way, it was about bringing liquidity relief in the form of, you know, supplemental income. Right. So if you've you know, lost your job or you're unable to pay your employees, these programs are giving you the money to keep household incomes up. Right. And so the, the borrowers that were acutely affected by this crisis because of lockdown measures and things like that might go being right back to normal and completely able to pay their loan as soon as that lockdown is finished. Right. So for them, you've just provided a little bit of liquidity relief to get them over the hump. And they're going to go right back to being the same credit risk they were before. So in that way, you've avoided losses. For a bunch of others, their situation has permanently changed. It's going to be a long time before people go back to the same level of travel through the air, staying in hotels, and these kind of things, right, on a, on a global scale. So for those, these programs might simply just be delaying losses. And you can see an example of that with the airline industry. So progress is being made when it comes to modeling and forecasting, and that's good. But this sort of work is never done, right? There's always room for improvement. What do you think are some of the key things that banks should be thinking about and acting on now to better manage credit risk? The way that you identify who has been permanently affected and who has been temporarily affected might be a lot easier to do with more granular 
models and, and modeling systems. There are some people that model credit losses at a, say, a vintage, a segment, a portfolio level, and that you know can be all well and good for most of the time. But right now, those that model it at the loan level, so they get a probability of default for every loan, are finding it much easier to do the kind of modeling needed to identify you know what we were discussing before. Another thing might be running more scenarios. So one of the lessons coming out of the Great Recession involves increasing the, the stress testing capabilities of banks. The banks that have really good stress testing frameworks in place now were able to quickly run a COVID or pandemic scenario at the end of March, beginning of April, and start to plan for this event, whereas the other ones were kind of struggling to increase their capabilities there. So I guess, you know, more granular modeling, the ability to quickly react to things would be, you know, a good start. If we look out into the future a little bit more, we could see perhaps some larger emphasis on business type concentration. We know if there's a new pandemic that comes in and these businesses have a harder time getting restarted, that represents a concentration you may want to pay attention to, whereas before you never did. We may see some new derivatives market coming up, which would offer hedges against pandemic type risk coverage. Or if I think even a little further, a risk that is sort of materializing here left and right is ESG, right? Climate. How do you integrate climate? So I think that the pandemic is giving us pause to think about all these other things that could come into play with respect to credit risk. And that's a nice segue into my last question here. We spoke earlier about COVID being an outlier event that really doesn't have a place in ongoing bank risk models. But that's not the same as saying that banks don't have anything to learn from COVID when it comes to building their models and managing risks. So maybe, Laurent, continuing on the thought that you just had, what are some of the insights that you think banks have taken away from the virus or that they should be taking away from the virus? I think it's uh, doing some critical assessment of black swan events, right? Tail risk modeling. Should they be incorporated in your models or should you simply insure against those? There is such limited data on these events that you have to, you know, it's very tough to model what's in the tails, right? So models work well for the body of the distributions, not so well in the extreme tails because we just don't have a lot of data for it. Speaking of this kind of tail risk, the way that you kind of push your models to the edge and figure out where they break is by running some kind of crazy scenarios, right? A scenario like the one we've just experienced over the last six months would have seemed, you know, maybe insane to run with the level of initial claims on employment that we saw. But if you were to run that scenario through your models, you would see how far your model could take you and then where it was missing and what you would need to add to it to kind of get you over the hump. And if we had done that before, then these changes that we're making over the last six months might have been done quicker, already done, right? One kind of example of this for modeling that we've been dealing with over the last couple of months is thinking about what to do with modified loans. We have all this data on what a modified loan looks like moving forward after modification from the last kind of in-between recession period, which is pretty bad, right? If you get modified during those periods, it's a big knock on your future kind of credit outcomes. But if you're getting modified during this recession, Maybe you don't look so bad going forward, but we don't know the answer to that until we get some more data on the losses that are emerging right now. And so moving forward from that point, we're going to have to figure out exactly how to treat the guys that were modified pre-COVID, during COVID, and post-COVID, because they're all going to represent that credit hit to varying degrees, and we're not going to know for a while how to do that. You know, that's a small example, but these things that go into your models are going to be kind of difficult to tease out using data from the current period. I imagine you'll start getting some of those answers soon. And then we'll all have a better idea of who's exposed and to what degree. So James Partridge and Laurent Barad, 
co-host of the Credit and Perspective podcast for Moody's Talks. Many thanks again for joining us on the Banking Strategies podcast. Pleasure to be here with you today. Thank you. Yeah, thanks a lot. It was fun. A few takeaways from our conversation with Laurent Barad and James Partridge from Moody's Analytics. First, while credit risk is heightened due to COVID's impacts, U.S. banks are better capitalized and overall better prepared to deal with the risk than they were during the financial crisis more than a decade ago. The liquidity injections by the federal government are also a big help. So far, the Moody's analysts are not seeing much in the way of charge-offs, but borrowers are still under pressure, so that could change in the months ahead. Modeling credit risk is both an art and a science. That said, the chances are slim to none that any financial institution built a pandemic scenario akin to COVID into their models. James and Laurent said the models that are providing the most value in gauging potential credit losses now are those that assess risk at the individual loan level. This more granular focus could be a good lesson for banks looking to learn from their pandemic experience. And finally, a big reason why modeling the risk of extreme left-tail events is so difficult is that there's so little data available to work with. That's why so many institutions opt instead to use insurance to hedge against that risk. But extreme events like COVID do offer a chance to stress test risk models, to push them to their breaking point, to see how well they're built, and to identify ways to make them even better. Thank you for listening to this week's BAI Banking Strategies podcast. I'm Terry Badger, Managing Editor at BAI. Please join us for our next conversation on a key issue facing the financial services industry.